Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. I'm Damian Volwa, managing editor of the San Francisco Chronicle. Today on Fifth Admission, we're talking about racial and ethnic disparities in coronavirus infections and what they tell us about how the pandemic has heightened inequality. Reporter Tatiana Sanchez is here. She recently spent time in a neighborhood in Marin County that has been hit hard by the virus. And she found some staggering numbers. Latinos make up 16% of the population of Marin, but 71% of infections. Tatiana, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I miss you. We haven't seen each other in months, <laughs> but I appreciate your work. You've been writing a lot about the coronavirus. You've also been writing about um, some of the disparities we're seeing and some of the inequalities. I want to start off by asking you, who is Aurelia Vargas? Yeah, so I met Aurelia Vargas when I went to San Rafael a few weeks ago and visited the Canal neighborhood. Um, so she contracted COVID-19 in July, and it was a huge surprise to her because she had been social distancing. Um, she was laid off from work temporarily, so she was not uh Clean, she usually cleans homes. Um, she was not doing that. Uh, she wasn't really seeing family members and said she was wearing her mask. So it was a really big surprise for her. Um, but she ended up testing positive for the virus and remembers feeling the fatigue, the pain in her eyes, headaches leading up to that positive test. Um, and so she ended up in quarantine for about a month in order to protect those around her. She lives with her husband and her two daughters. And basically they had to disinfect everything that she used uh, if they were to use it. She was in her confined to her room for several weeks. And if they brought her food or if they brought her medicine, they wore masks and immediately washed their hands. So it was a really complicated um thing for this family because they couldn't completely isolate away from her or she couldn't isolate from them. Um, but I think she she really paints the picture of what's going on in this particular neighborhood because within Marin County, this is one of the neighborhoods that is seeing the highest infections, particularly amongst Latinx residents. Um, so, you know, she'll, she talked to me a lot about how shocking it was for her and about the fact that many fellow residents are also coming down with the virus for a multitude of reasons. So for people who aren't familiar with the Canal neighborhood in, in San Rafael, um, I think some people might understand that if you're driving out on 101 and you run up against the 580 split coming off the Richmond Bridge, it's the neighborhood right just to the north of that 101-580 split. 
Yes, and it's a very distinct neighborhood for many reasons. Um, it's predominantly low income, predominantly uh, Latino and immigrant neighborhood. Um, and it's just a stark juxtaposition to many of the more affluent communities around it because the residents of the canal are uh, low income, they work low wage jobs, and they really struggle to make a living. Many of them live in crowded housing situations because they can't afford the high Bay Area rents. So they live one, two, three families under one household. And that has become really devastating uh, during the pandemic because, as you can imagine, um, that really magnifies uh, how vulnerable they are to the virus. Um, and again, as I said, many of them work low-wage jobs, so many of them have been exposed um, to the virus just going out uh, and and working Um also, one of the things that really uh, affects this community is a lack of affordable housing. Um, and I was really surprised when I made a trip to the canal a few weeks ago. By the way, they call it the canal because it literally is, um, it runs along the San Rafael Canal. So the locals call it the canal. Um, all, many of the things that you see when you're driving through the neighborhood are just so many apartment complexes, really old, rundown apartment complexes. And it's kind of like um, the issues affecting this community are playing out right before you. If you drive by, you see so many housing complexes just, you know, that are overcrowded with families um, and, and with children. Um, so it's a very distinct neighborhood. And it's kind of an outlier when you think of um, the more general picture that people have of Marin as this white, largely white and largely affluent uh, community. Yeah, no, it's it's striking. It's a really bustling working class neighborhood there. And then, you know, go five or 10 minutes down the road and you're on, you know, Tiburon or you're in, in Mill Valley and you have estates and, and multi-million dollar homes. Yeah, definitely. And and you can really physically see that difference if you spend time in the community. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, because of the many socioeconomic issues that these residents are dealing with, and, and we're dealing with even before the pandemic, they became targets of the virus um, and are being hit extremely hard. So roughly 8% of the residents uh, in Canal, so I believe off the top of my head, a, a little over 1,000 people um, have come down with the virus and that they account for a, a large portion of Marin's overall cases. Okay, well, let's, let's get at sort of why and some of the reasons. You quote a doctor in your piece that says, the story of these disparities, particularly in the Latino community, is the story about the essential frontline worker. And that's where it begins, right? Yes. And, and I think she really captured uh, one of the main reasons why uh, Latino people have been most affected by the virus. And also when I spoke to Aurelia, she, she um, hit on this as well. She said, we're indispensable. We haven't stopped working. Um, it didn't apply to her, but she was referring to many of the people in her community who still go out and work even right now. Um, so, 
Essential workers um, are the most vulnerable. Many canal residents and many Latino residents in general are working these essential jobs. So they're the ones bagging groceries. They're the ones uh, wrapping the to-go orders at restaurants, um, you know, doing janitorial services. Um, and because of that, they've been the ones that have been hit hardest. Um, so it's pretty crystal clear. And this is something that has been playing out across the Bay Area across the state, even across the country, again, because uh, Latinos uh, often work essential jobs. So you mentioned that being a frontline worker obviously puts people at risk and and Latinos are are doing those frontline jobs. Um, You mentioned affordable housing and and the lack of it and people living in close quarters, which is another risk factor for coronavirus. Are there any other factors uh, having to do with either either language barriers or education or the way that the coronavirus is talked about in the Latino community? Yeah, that's a great question. So the factors that you mentioned and that we've been talking about are by far the most significant, but there are other other factors also that come into play. Um, education, lack of uh culturally competent care, um, signage, you know, even something as simple as like having not having signs in Spanish in certain communities can really um, impact the way the things people know and don't know about the virus. Um, Also, um, lack of testing in some communities has been an issue and also misinformation. I have heard some doctors and some community advocates say that misinformation has been, you know, something that they've struggled with. Um, And this isn't to say that this applies to everyone, um, but, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, just kind of spreading Things like if you drink this or if you eat that, you won't have the virus Um, that can spread like wildfire, as you can imagine, during a pandemic when information is constantly being shared. So that has been something that some doctors have struggled with. Um, It is just um, some misinformation that has been floating around. All right, Tatiana, I want to take a quick break. This is Fifth and Mission. We'll be right back. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bolwa. I'm joined by reporter Tatiana Sanchez. We're talking about her reporting on how hard hit the Latino community has been by the coronavirus and particularly in Marin County, where we see a huge disparity. 71% of infections in that county are Latinos, even though Marin County is largely white. Uh, Tatiana, before we continue, uh, you were talking about um, Aurelia Vargas, um, but did she ever find out how she got the coronavirus? That's another great question. So she does not know um, till this day how she got the virus, um, because as I mentioned, she was not working. She's a housekeeper. So many of the families that she worked for previously let her go um, during the pandemic, understandably. And um, 
she has been mostly was mostly confined to her home so for her it was it really um didn't make sense and she couldn't figure out how she got the virus um her husband um was working throughout the pandemic so he is a gardener and also works other odd odd jobs um however he tested negative twice for the virus so she really has no way of knowing how she got it it could have been during a trip to the grocery store that's one of the places she does go to obviously sometimes um but she really doesn't know you also spoke to a man named Wilmer Garcia and he has sort of a different story about the coronavirus right yeah wilmer had a really shocking story because he lived in or lives i should say in a home with 11 other people they're all family members um and um again the this family is a textbook example of what can happen when there is a family in a crowded home living in a crowded um housing situation and when there are also essential workers in the family so the family thinks that they contracted the virus through a member of the family who is an essential worker. He works at a restaurant and was working um, in the early days of the pandemic. And uh, shortly after he tested positive for the virus, six, other, seven other people, including Wilmer, tested positive. Um, and, you know, it, it came as obviously it was shocking news to them. But at the same time, it came as no surprise because they knew that if the family member who was an essential worker uh, tested positive, there was a really high chance that they would too. Um, and that's exactly what happened. So they essentially had to split the home into two where they had the people who had the virus in one part of the home using the same bathroom and a few rooms and the other part of the family sharing the same uh, living area. And, you know, they basically wrote out the virus together, but, um, Again, there's just a textbook example of the issues that um, or the disparities, I should say, affecting these low income families and how that makes them so much more vulnerable to getting the virus. All right. That's San Francisco, right? Where uh, Wilmer Garcia lives. Correct. And you found not only that the disparity is big in Marin County, but that it goes across the Bay Area. It goes across the Bay Area and even across the state. I think uh, as of a few days ago, uh, Latinos accounted for roughly 60% of the total cases across California, despite making up 39% of the population. And we're seeing that um, in many, many different places, even across the U.S. Wow. And what are the authorities doing about that? Yeah. So I think now that we're six months in, um, many public health officials and community advocates are really serious, even more so now, about turning things around. Um, so there's a huge focus on testing, getting tested, getting testing into lower income communities, because that was a, a mark that was missed early on. Um, if you ask a lot of community advocates, they will tell you that there was an insufficient amount of testing in these communities. There's also been a significant focus on contact tracing and particularly hiring contact tracer tracers who speak Spanish and who live in these communities. I think that's really important. Um, so it's really a, a large variety of ways that they're trying to approach this issue. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, you bring up a lot of, of issues of, about education, language barriers, 
um, living situations, et cetera. But a lot of this seems to come down to the basics that we've been talking about in this country, contact tracing and testing, testing, testing. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And like I said, that's been a huge focus of a lot of counties and a lot of organizations is just getting people to get tested. That's hugely important when you think about the fact and look, you know, look at communities like Canal, where there's just so many um, infections coming out of a single community. So UCSF, for example, has partnered with a lot of local nonprofits um, who are familiar and have a foot in these neighborhoods um, and they've done testing blitzes. So they did one in the mission this past weekend, um, kind of in lieu of the infamous uh, Carnival Festival. And they are doing one again in partnership with other organizations in the Fruitvale District in this weekend. So the hope is to reach people who maybe have never been tested or people who have been afraid to do so and doing so in a way where it reaches them directly in their own community and makes them feel comfortable. I think that has been the approach in recent weeks and is really important, um, making them feel like um, they can trust the people who are offering these services. Yeah, I mean, it's so striking. We have you know, athletes and people in certain uh, corporate situations where they might be getting tested every day as some sort of protocol, and then other people who haven't been tested at all, even though they're on the front line every day. Yeah, and I think that really plays to the disparities that we've been seeing. It's incredible. You know, these these are so the people who are out there on the front lines and yet haven't gotten tested or don't have equal access to testing a lot of the times. Tatiana, thank you so much for your work and and for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thanks to my guest today, Chronicle reporter Tatiana Sanchez, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening.